one day I'm hoping that they'll be willing to pray over us before they go down. I know that's intimidating for them, but I love having our kids up here. I love getting to talk with them a little bit before they head downstairs. We are trying to uh, develop that ministry, so if you're ever somebody who you say, ah, maybe once or twice a year I'd like to do one of the object lessons with the kids, let us know, uh, and we can put you on the team that that's, we're developing to do a little object lessons and, and things for the kids. Something two minutes, five minutes, uh, so let us know if you'd like to do that. But just like I said to the kids, Today we're talking about prayer as an expression of hope. This is our last message in our 40 Days of Prayer series. I hope that you have grown in your love for prayer. You've grown hopefully in your discipline of prayer and you will uh, help 2023 to be a year uh, where uh, the, hopefully the first of many where prayer just becomes a, a core part of who you are as a believer. But before we talk about prayer as an expression of hope, uh, we probably should define what that even means. So what does it mean to hope? Well, as an actual definition, it says a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. So we're talking about prayer as a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. When I was preparing this and praying through this, I thought, well, what's the difference between hope and a wish? Like wishing that God would do something. I wish that God would do this. Well, a wish is defined as a desire or hope for something to happen. Now, if you remember, those two definitions are pretty similar except for one big difference, and that's the word expectation. To live in an expectant way. It's one of uh, my, my many things that I, I feel that we as believers uh, can get a hold of that we don't have a great hold of, and it's that, that idea of expectation. To live in a way that says, I'm not just uh, wishing that God would do something in my church or in my community or in my family or with my neighbor, but I'm going to expect that to happen. How often do you walk in on a Sunday morning and you have a, like an air of expectation that God is gonna do something that day? And you go in just like, man, God, what are you gonna do today? I think more often than not, we come in, we walk in, we're, we're seated, and the service is over before we ever even give it a thought. And then maybe on the way home or at lunch, we think about, okay, God, what did you want for me? And it becomes, uh, we, we really have developed uh, a, a receiving culture that says, I'm here to, to receive. And so the best thing I can think of or hope for is that I get something out of the message. It's a consumer mentality that we can develop as believers, especially the way that we generally do church, is that I'm, I'm here to consume content um, that the pastor hopefully has spent some time preparing. And so maybe we ask ourselves, God, what did you have for me there? Instead of, before we ever step foot in this building, to say, God, what are you gonna do today? What do you have planned? Because like we talked about a few weeks ago, I think it's uh, not just wrong, but possibly evil to prepare our own agenda and then say, okay, God, now bless this. Bless my idea of what's gonna happen but instead for us to look and see what God is doing and join him in that. 
I think often God is trying to do things even in our midst, even around us, even in our church family that we miss out on because our only focus is what we're getting out of that day, what we're, what we're receiving or consuming from the message time. So what does it mean to view prayer as an expression of hope? Well, we're looking at the second half of the verse that we looked at last week. We're finishing up uh, Jesus' model of prayer. Uh, Matthew chapter six, verse 13 says, and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. If you learned uh, either as a kid or at some point in your life, you learned the Lord's prayer. I never did learn that. Uh, if you don't know, I grew up as a Jehovah Witness and we didn't grow up saying that. So it took me a long time to ac actually memorize that uh, thing because everybody just expected you to know it but uh you grew up saying that the lord's prayer then uh you probably grew up finishing it with this uh part of the verse like we talked about last week uh, we already know the part in brackets is not supposed to be in there they added that somebody added that much later after matthew wrote his gospel uh someone else added that so we know it's not supposed to be in there but there's still spiritual truth in it. It doesn't change what Jesus was teaching. Uh, it adds spiritual truth to it. So we're gonna look at it uh, as kind of a jumping uh, off point into this idea of prayer as an expression of hope um, because there is spiritual truth in it. Uh, what the statement does is it points our eyes to an eternal perspective and reminds us that the kingdom and the power and the glory belongs to God forever. There's this forever mentality that uh, I gotta be honest, we, we often will forget. And I think it's one of the, uh, we'll say, benefits of getting older and older is you begin to think more and more and more about eternity. When you're in your early 20s, eternity is kind of a useless concept. We don't think about it often because we still expect that we're gonna live another 60, 70, 80 years. Uh, and so we don't think about it. But the longer you live, the closer you get to uh, that moment where you'll enter glory, um, naturally, hopefully, you think about eternity more often. But there is an eternal aspect to the Christian life, and this model of prayer focuses on that. When we focus on eternity and the kingdom of God in our prayer time, it produces hope in us. If you're going through a tough season right now or you're going through a stressful time at work, uh, sometimes it helps to think about the end. Like, you know, I think of teachers. I honestly, I have no idea how teachers do it. I would lose my mind. I have two kids and that's too much uh, some, some days. Uh, so I can't imagine how teachers do it. But I know that some of you teachers, you just have this mantra of how many more days until summer break? Uh, because it's like you look at the end, the finish line, and you think like, okay, I can deal with little Johnny that's hanging from the ceiling uh, right now because it's only a few more days until winter break or until uh, summer break or you know whatever the next break is. So when we think about what is to come, it produces hope and it's like, okay, I can make it through the day. I have a little bit of hope because I'm thinking about what is to come. 
And I think this is a fitting way to end our uh, prayer uh, sermon series. Uh, And certainly if we're using this model, which I would encourage you, use this model when you pray. That's the reason Jesus gave it to us. Uh, If you've heard my rant already, uh, forgive me, but this is not the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't matter how many times we say that, it's not true. It's like when we say, uh, yeah, you know, you only use 10% of your brain. You've heard that, right? It's not true. It's a complete lie. Uh, But we believe it because we just keep saying it. So it doesn't matter how many times you say it, Jesus isn't praying. When Jesus is talking to the disciples, he says, pray like this, and he then gives them a model of prayer. And so I hope that you will look at this and you will begin to use this in your prayer life. You sit down to pray, open up Jesus' model of prayer and spend that, he says, our Father who is in heaven. Okay, what does it mean that God's my Father? And spend some time praying about that. Spend some time looking into that and praying in that direction. God, thank you that, that you, you invite me in relationally into this like you're the God of all creation but you're my father and so there's this awesome model but what a great way to finish it as we end our prayer time looking to eternity because it reminds us regardless of how big the issues that we brought to the Lord in that time of prayer are God is in control and eternity itself belongs to him he is the author of creation and he owns all of eternity. And we will enter that one way or another, we will enter eternity and we will be with him forever. So the things that have got us weighed down today just will not matter one day. So, it all, so how do we develop though and how do we cultivate a hope in God? an expectation and a desire to see things happen. How do we develop and cultivate that? Well, I think it all starts with what Jesus did. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse three, it says, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Jesus died for our sins and rose again, we have a living hope. It's one thing to say like, oh, you know, I have this one relative and I think it's cool to like, you know, ancestry.com and like looking up all that stuff and um, looking at your family and it's like, oh, I had this like cool uh, individual in my, in my family history and so like that uh, might excite you because you're part of that family line but that's not a living hope. See, Jesus, uh, he didn't just die but he rose again. And so we have a living hope in Jesus. Our hope is not in the dead Jesus who died on the cross uh, and as if Jesus just sat in a tomb for the last 2,000 something years, he rose again after three days and he is alive and seated at the right hand of the Father. Through his death, we have access to a new birth. That's why uh, often Christians are referred to as born again. Not that we obviously enter our mother's womb and we come out again, but there is a new birth that happens. We are new creations. And it's through the new birth that hope is birthed in us as well. As a believer, hopefully, you wake up with hope in your heart as you think about what God has for you, as you live a life of expectation. Because now the author of that hope lives in us. Colossians 1.27 says, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
There's this awesome change that happens when Jesus dies on the cross because at no point in history was there ever a permanent residence of Jesus residing in people. This is a whole new thing as the Holy Spirit is brought at Pentecost and now he comes inside and he dwells in in a permanent way into the believer. It doesn't just, in the Old Testament, you'll, hear, you'll read like, oh, and the Spirit came upon him, but that's not a permanent thing. That's a temporary uh, event that happens. And, but then Jesus brings this and he says it's, it's, it's all uh, about Christ in you now, the hope of glory. And so because Christ resides in us, once we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, hope literally resides in our hearts. It is inside of us. So when we pray, we can pray as one who does have hope in the future and not just a wish of the future but a hope because we don't just read about Jesus we don't just read about what he did we know him he resides in us he speaks to us anybody who tells you that God doesn't actually speak to you needs to read the Bible again because he does speak to us the Holy Spirit is sent to speak. That's his, uh, one of his primary roles is to guide us, to instruct us, to counsel us, to teach us. And he will speak to us. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not us living this perfect way. It's not us checking all the boxes. It's not us getting to the church 15 times a week that's gonna give us this awesome hope. That's not what does it. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. One of, I love uh, you know, that Francis Chan wrote this book and he named it, I thought, the perfect name, The Forgotten God, when he writes about the Holy Spirit because man, and especially in, in our culture and in the church today, we have forgotten who the Holy Spirit is and what he is. We treat him like he's this extra emotion that God gave us and like, well, I feel like God spoke to me because I felt this uh, urging or I felt this like push and it's like, yeah, well, God might work that way but he's also trying to talk to you and he might have to be pushing you because you won't listen. Uh, and I don't know if you have kids, but my kid will do that if I'm not paying attention to him. He comes over and starts pushing my leg or you know, yanking on my jeans or something to get me to turn and look at them. Um, and sometimes that's what the Holy Spirit's doing because you won't listen. Uh, it says in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit speaks to us and like uh, a good shepherd, his sheep know his voice. Not know his push, not know his in inclination, but we know his voice. He speaks to us. He speaks through us and we should be ready for that because as we engage the power of the Holy Spirit he's saying here that hope overflows as our faith in God grows as we lean into the power of the Holy Spirit so does the hope that we have in our future with God the more we lean into that, the more we'll experience that. If you're experiencing a lack of hope, if you're experiencing high anxiety, high dread, high depression, lean into God. Meet him in that place. Allow the Holy Spirit's power to, to fill you. But if we're not growing, if we're not seeking to know God more each day, then we shouldn't expect to be overflowing with hope like the book of Romans talks about. We shouldn't wonder, like, man, I wonder why I'm always depressed. It's not like, I mean, I read my Bible one year, but I mean, I don't, still don't know why I'm not growing. 
or why I always feel a sense of dread or why I don't have faith like so-and-so does. And we're reading the Bible through every year as a church. So jump, jump in, join us. If you don't know how to do that, call us, email us, text us, and we'll get you set up. You can read through the Bible with us. It's very simple, very easy uh, to do. There's a ton of videos this year through the Bible Project people, and they do an awesome job of explaining really difficult and intricate biblical truths in very simple ways. Uh, so I encourage you to grow, to seek to know God more. That's what you do in a relationship. And any relationship that doesn't have that isn't going to experience oneness. I love, I know I've talked about this a lot, but I really enjoyed um, their, their idea of that when Jackie and I were at the weekend to remember. Um, they always, they talked about everything you do as a couple brings you closer to isolation or oneness. There are no ambiguous decisions. There are no uh, middle of the road or gray areas. Every decision we make as a couple moves us toward oneness or isolation, and it's the same with God. Every decision you make throughout your day is gonna move you closer to isolation as you lean into your relationship with God, as you seek to know him more. But if you've stopped seeking to know God, then you're moving closer and closer to isolation every day. We must be in the word of God, worshiping him, listening for his voice, and engaging in our relationship with God regularly to grow our faith. Hope, it's not just about reading what God has done, though. It's not just like, okay, I know all the stuff that God did in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. I know what God has done. It's about looking at what God has done and using that knowledge as a filter to view the future. See, some of us, we talked about a little bit about this at communion, is we view people still based on the filter of what they have done. And for people, that's generally uh, speaking not a good thing because <laughs> we mess up a lot. But when we view God or when we view anything through the filter of what God has done, it's always gonna positively impact the way we see things because he has always been faithful. He has always been good. He has always shown his love. And so we should use what we read, what we hear, what we know about who God is and what he's done to look at the future and to see what God is gonna do. Romans chapter eight, verses 24 to 25 says, now in this hope we were saved. Yet hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for that, for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. When we really know who God is and we understand his love for us, we understand how much he wants uh, good for us, how much he uh, wants to show up and show off in our lives and how much he wants to bless us and how much he wants to, to, to wrap his arms around us and just love us, we don't demand that he does what we want right now, that he has to do everything that we say like he's some vending machine because I pushed this letter and this number, this is what you have to do, God, because your word says it, and so you have to do what I say. But we can patiently wait with eagerness to see how God will work. And if you walk with Jesus long enough, then you know you can pray for something and often enough, you're gonna wait to see how God decides to answer that because generally speaking, he's not gonna answer it the exact way we wanted it because our perspective was off in the first place. But he does, man, he likes to show off. He loves to do things above and beyond what we ask because that's who he is. He loves to bless us when he can bless us. But 
If our eyes aren't on him, it makes it a lot harder to bless him. It's the same thing with my kid. When, when Killian is, is like losing his mind, it's a lot harder for me to bless him. It's a lot harder for me to give him something he wants when he's acting like he can't handle that. Like yesterday we learned, kid cannot have candy with red dye 40 in it or he acts like an animal. Uh, and so it's like he's acting like that. Now he wants, which I made a mistake. Uh, he was acting, uh, he was having a rough day yesterday. And then I went, we went and bought him uh, cherry gelati, uh, which if you know, I don't know if it has red dye 40 or not in it, but I'm like, well, blew it on that one. But when he's acting that way, it's like I, I can't give him good things because then it'll teach him when you act like that, you get things that you want. And so it will increase that poor behavior. As a parent, hopefully you've learned that. Um, and if not, then welcome to parenting class. Uh, don't give your kids what they want when they're throwing a fit because uh, then it just teaches them to throw more fits. And so there's many times where it's like, I really want to bless Killian with something. Like I have this thing and I'm ready to give it to him, but I have to wait until he's done throwing his fit until he, he can calm himself down. Often we'll say, okay, well, when you're done crying or when you're done, you know, when you get up, up off the floor, then we can talk. And often, hopefully, he does that and then we can bless him. And I, think, I know that's how God sees us many times. He's just waiting for us to point our eyes back to him so he can bless us and that it won't ruin us because look what it does to Israel. Read your Old Testament. Every time God would bless them, they'd have a season where things were really good and God was blessing them and they'd always turn their backs on him when he blessed them. And so there's, a, there's a, certainly a, an aspect to that of God saying, I know you want this job, I know you want this thing, but I can't, or you'll turn your back on me, and it'll go bad. And so for your sake, I'm not gonna do that thing. To develop the type of hope which overflows that Paul talks about there in Romans, it's a process, and it's not the one that the prosperity gospel talks about. You listen to some of these TV preachers that are like, oh, you serve God and he's gonna, I know why I do a Texas accent every time I do a TV preacher. <laughs> it happens every time. But they tell you that all you gotta do is serve God and everything's gonna go great for you and you're gonna be abounding in, in this world's wealth. Man, that's just absolute garbage. Nothing about that in the gospel. As a matter of fact, the process that God tells us is gonna develop hope in us is the exact opposite of what the prosperity gospel is. It's the one it ignores because it's the, the path to overflowing hope is affliction. That's how we experience overflowing hope. So what is that word? What is affliction? Affliction defined, I know I'm giving you a bunch of definitions today, as something that causes pain or suffering. I don't know about you, but this wasn't in Sunday school, was it? I don't remember that Sunday school lesson. I didn't go to Sunday school, so I get to say that because maybe it was in Sunday school. I don't know, I didn't grow up as a Christian. so um, This isn't something we teach often. Well, if you wanna love Jesus and if you wanna have hope in him, then man, you're gonna suffer. That's not a message that fills churches, uh, but that's what the Bible talks about. It doesn't seem to make sense to me at first. You say, well, how am I gonna develop hope in God if I'm suffering all the time? Uh, I don't know if any of you are nerdy enough to be reading A.W. Tozer a lot. Um, I like A.W. Tozer. I don't know if you know, he was an Alliance pastor. Uh, he had his credentials through the Christian Missionary Alliance. Good guy, awesome stuff to read. One of his controversial quotes that he got a lot of flack for in his time is he said, it is doubtful 
whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. And it's like, whoo, man, that's not gonna get people sending you money on TV. That's not the kind of message you're gonna see there. But that is the truth, what A.W. Tozer here. Now, am, am I, is he saying that God is going to seek to hurt you? No, of course not. But man, is he gonna allow you into places where you are going to hurt and suffer, where affliction will be a part of your life? Paul, how could, how could pain and suffering produce hope? How, is, how does that math add up? Well, Paul lays that out earlier in his letter to the Romans. In Romans chapter five, Verses two to five, it says, we have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Everything's good so far. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know, well, hold on, let's just pause here for a moment because I want us to understand like, they're not talking about their coworkers laughing at them at the water cooler. That's not what they mean by afflictions. They've already seen believers murdered because they promote Jesus. They've been kicked out of towns, they've lost family members, they've been ostracized by their community, many of them. They've experienced death threats that's the kind of affliction we're talking about here. That's what they're saying. We rejoice when my neighbor tries to kill me for talking about Jesus. So I just want to get our minds straight here. That's what he's talking about with affliction. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces and this is something we need to get a hold of this morning. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. As we experience pain and suffering in this life, it will produce endurance. Many of us, uh, hopefully, you have like some deep friendships in your life. You have people who you know are your best friends. And many times you have those deep friendships because you've gone through seasons of pain and they were there for you. But if your life was always roses and you never went through any really difficult stuff, then you never had the opportunity to lean into that friendship, to lean into that relationship. It's one of the things I was taught early on that uh, you know, one of the things that Jackie and I did not have um, that I encourage uh, couples, especially when I'm doing pre-marriage counseling, is if you can, wait to be engaged to someone until you've gone through a crisis together because then you know how each of you is gonna respond to that and you know how they're gonna process that. Do they lean into your relationship or do they seek to escape it? Do they prefer isolation as they in, endure a crisis or do they, or do they you, you grow closer? Because guess what? Through life, you're gonna go through a lot of crises. As a, as a married couple, you're gonna experience a lot of crises. And if you both seek isolation in those moments, it's not gonna go well for you. You need to lean into that relationship. 
And so what Paul's talking about here is as we endure this pain and suffering, it's gonna produce endurance, he says. And that endurance will, over time, produce in us proven character. That proven character, over time, will produce in us hope. Now, when I, when I was preparing this, I was reading through this and processing this and praying, praying through this uh, passage of scripture, I was like, man, the, one of the first things that comes to my mind was football. I played football, I loved football, uh, and we, I grew up in a small town, if any of you know Winber, that's where I went to high school, down in Winber. Uh, we were really good at football. Uh, that's like one of the things that we did really well uh, was football. But we were also not a very big school. Uh, we, I, I don't know, if you know football, I know uh, I don't watch football at all anymore, but if you know football, you know what the offensive guard is. At 160 pounds, I was an offensive guard. That's how big we were, okay? So uh, you know we, we, didn't, we didn't have size going for us, and so we'd have these insane practices all summer. And man, if you want to talk about affliction, pain and suffering, I, don't, I didn't get through many of those without having to throw up at least once. And that's not a euphemism, that's true. But as we did that, we just knew. We showed up to our first game, and we didn't gas out through the whole fourth quarter of a game. And we realized, man, there's something to this. We're faster, we can go longer than any other team, so even if we're not winning at the beginning, we're gonna get through to the end. And it began to produce. So then we started to engage, you know, that was like my freshman year, and then sophomore year, and then junior. By like the junior year, I started to enjoy these horrific practices where I was thrown up half the time. Why? Because I knew what it would produce in me. The longer I endured that, it, it, I would gain endurance and then character I would gain from that and then hope that we would go into our season knowing we were the strongest and the fastest out there. We had the best endurance. And in the Christian life, man, if it, one of the questions that you should ask of someone, if you say you want someone to mentor you or you want someone to disciple you, ask them for a time in their life where they knew they were in desperate need of Jesus. And if they can't tell you one of those stories, then that person shouldn't disciple you because they should know how they have desperately needed Jesus in their life. They should have stories of when they, they hit that place because if they don't, no one makes it through life without moments where they either get to choose to live in a desperate dependence for Jesus or they lean into their own strengths and they try to overcome it on their own. And I don't know about you, but I don't wanna follow someone towards Jesus who doesn't even know where he is but it's through the pain and it's through the suffering that you really begin to learn who God is as he meets us in that place. If you've never been in one of those valleys where you don't even, you can't even remember the good times with God and you're just in that horrible state where it just seems like you're never gonna see his face again and you're never gonna hear his voice again. A couple books talk about it as like the dark night of the soul, it says. If you've never been in one of those places, but if you have, you know what it's like to feel the presence of God in that place and for him to walk you through that valley and then up that mountain and to where you can see the light again. There's nothing like it. There's also nothing like having a friend who would join you in that place and walk with you through that valley, not condemn you, not speak evil over you, not like, well, what'd you do to God to make him so angry with you, but who would just lock arms with you and walk you through that and keep pointing your eyes to Jesus. But I wanna point something out here in what Paul talks about. It's only when we rejoice in that affliction that this process happens because there's an opposite process. If we view our afflictions through a victim lens, 
we never get to the endurance part because our eyes are so fixed on ourselves and, and how we're suffering and what we're not getting and because we're a victim, we don't see God in our affliction. When our eyes are on ourselves instead of God in our affliction, it produces the opposite of endurance, which is apathy. And apathy, over time, will produce the opposite of proven character, which is corruption. And so it is of vital importance that we heed Paul's advice. He says in Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. If you take nothing else from this sermon, take this verse and make it a mantra of your life. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, and be persistent in prayer. Because when our eyes are on ourselves as we endure affliction, and let me promise you one thing, you will endure affliction in this life. You will endure pain and suffering. And if your eyes are on yourself, uh, one of the things that frustrates me about uh, the culture of today is uh, it really teaches us how to be victims and how to view ourselves as victims. And if we view ourselves that way and if our eyes are on us as we endure pain and suffering, It's not gonna take us down the path that Paul talks about here. But our eyes must be on him and we must wait patiently for him in affliction and wait for him to show up in our lives as we are persistent in prayer and as we rejoice in the hope. It's one of the things you'll never hear me talk about, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, without mentioning that it says, make your request made known to God with thanksgiving. That's how we approach him in desperation. And that's why this says rejoice in hope. Even in the darkest valley, if you don't have a list written down somewhere of all the things that God has done for you, of the ways that he has showed up and showed off in your life, then you only have yourself to blame when you hit that valley and you have nothing to rejoice in. But you should just pull that list out and even in the darkest place, you can say, God, you met me here, and you met me here, and you met me here, and you met me here. So the enemy's telling me I'm lost and I'm never coming out of this valley, but I got a list that proves that's wrong. I got a list right here that proves that you have always showed up. And so I will be patient in affliction, and I will be persistent in prayer. And I promise you when you hit that valley and you learn to just weep for the presence of God again, and ask him to rescue you, you will experience amazing things. Or you can try to strong arm your way out of the valley. And you can do whatever the world tells you is gonna fix that. You can go on a vacation, you can pamper yourself, you can buy another book, you can lose some weight, whatever the newest fat is. Or you can meet God in that place. It is in the rejoicing, in the patience, and in the persistence which, which will help our prayer life be an expression of hope instead of, well, that last time I was in a bind and God never met me there. He did. You had just moved on by the time he showed up because you weren't patient in your affliction. You tried to get yourself out of there and you took the long way around. So what can we take away from what we talked about today? So what do we do with this? 
Well, for prayer to be an expression of hope for us, we must first be born again and believe that God is who he said he is. But we can't believe that he is who he says he is unless we know what he says he is. And we can only know what he says he is if we're in the word of God, if we're reading his word, if we're not just reading the words on the page, but we're studying the word of God and spending time with him. One of the books I've recommended to you all in the past, and I would again recommend it here, is the Sacred Pathways material to learn how, how am I wired to worship God. We, there's only one God, but there's a lot of different ways to engage him, and each of us is kind of wired in a different way. For me, you know me, sitting on a kayak, that's like one of the best places I'll meet with God. Put me in a, one of those like little prayer closets and I will lose my mind. This is not where I'm gonna meet. For some of you, that's the exact opposite. You will never wanna be on a kayak in your life. Maybe you've heard my stories of how I've almost died, but um, you'd much rather sit in a closet and have no distractions and nothing to look at for you to focus on God. We're each different, but we should all be worshiping him, engaging him, learning more about him in our own ways. If we don't have a regular discipline of studying God's word and spending time with him, we shouldn't be shocked when we lack hope, when we hit those dark valleys, those, those dark nights of the soul and we don't know what to do and we, and we just completely collapse in those places because we don't know the word of God. We don't know how good he is at rescuing people. We don't know his proven track record of showing up and showing off. The hope that we have will be refined and multiplied as we experience trials. If our eyes are on Jesus, and not on ourselves. The reason there is so much apathy in the church today is because as we've experienced affliction as believers, we've chosen to see ourselves as victims instead of victors. And Jesus has spoken victor over each and every one of us as we join him in this life and instead we've chosen because we get pity, because we get attention, because we get pampered when we see ourselves as a victim, because people walk on eggshells around us when we play the victim card or the title. We've chosen that route instead of saying, now I'm a victor in Christ. Paul again in Romans says, Romans 8, 37, knowing all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. If you don't know what it means to be more than victorious. You need to lean more into Jesus. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. If you live by these tenets, you will shake off the apathy that has robbed many, many a believer of hope in Jesus. And watch as your relationship explodes with God as no matter what the enemy throws at you, you lean more and more and more into Jesus. And watch what it'll do as your prayer life becomes an expression of hope instead of an expression of I want, I want, I want. Instead of a list of wants, it becomes this awesome, as you follow Jesus model, you'll learn what it really means to engage God in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the truth of your word, God, and though it doesn't seem to make sense 
you will allow us to experience significant hurt and pain in this life. But we know because of your word, you will always be right there with us. We will never experience the things of this world alone unless we choose to try to do so. You are always there, a constant friend. And you are our refuge that we can run to in in whatever dark day we find ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray that as we look at this model of prayer, Lord, that we would learn to end our time in prayer in an expression of hope, that we would be reminded of eternity and what we will one day step into, that whatever affliction we're experiencing, whatever pain, whatever suffering we're in today, we would be reminded that one day all of that will fade away and we will enter an eternal rest with you where we will rejoice in the beauty and the glory and the splendor of God Almighty. Lord, help us to endure each and every trial and thing that that we encounter through this life through the power of the Holy Spirit in your presence. God, I pray strength over each and every one of us that we would lean more into you this week, this year, and for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, have a great week. And hope to see you out on Thursday at 7 p.m.